I don't know what um, you've experienced in the name of Jesus. We, we talk about this a lot every week because there's such a diverse audience in here. But here's why we talk about the whole message and ministry of Jesus being good news. is because when Jesus came to planet Earth, contrary to what maybe you have been told or saw or you've experienced from other people, Jesus literally came to planet Earth to liberate us from a meaningless existence to free us ultimately from ourselves and living for ourselves. And here's what I mean by that. Like, have you ever had that experience where you reach some plateau or you accomplish something and there's that low level kind of internal, is that it? Like that was, it? was that it? Like if all we're left to is just a life that is lived for us, whatever you characterize as life. I mean, whether it's a house and more square footage or a car or, and all those things are great, but the new car smell wears off eventually. It's a relationship. It's raising kids. That's a big deal. We're honoring um, those who are in the mix of that today. I mean, it's sex. That's good. But even that, like after a while, is that life? I mean, is that all there is? Like if we're left to just that's it, that's life at some level, it's kind of depressing. What's really interesting is among psychologists and psychiatrists today, there's something known as languishing, which is the failure to thrive, a lost sense of hope and a lost sense of meaning, which at some level is an epidemic. That the greatest, the greatest kind of mental health issue isn't even clinical depression. The greatest mental health issue is not even mental illness, but it is the absence of mental vitality. Like it's the absence of purpose that leads to all of those other things. And so literally, Jesus has come to planet Earth to go, in a sin-infested world, you're going to deal with some of that stuff, but you just need to know, I've come to liberate you. I've come to free you. I've come to give you a bigger purpose than just you. And, and all of that is going to hinge on, there's going to be some moments in front of you where you need to say yes, and you need to surrender, and you need to go, hey, Jesus, I don't really understand this but I'm in. I'm going to handle this relationship the way you want. I'm going to say no to this. I'm going to step in and, and risk what seemingly is kind of uncertain because I feel like you're calling me to do it. And there are going to be what we've called divine moments, meaning orchestrated by God, that are ultimately going to be the catalyst for your divine calling. We've said it this way, is that your divine calling is always contingent on seizing, on grabbing a hold of, those divine moments. And here's the reality is that God has a divine calling for your life. God has a divine destiny for your life that no matter what uncertainty that you're facing right now, no matter what baggage that you are carrying, no matter how bad the past is, and you just need to know this, this is good news. God has a divine destiny and a divine calling for you. And at some level, it is contingent on those divine moments when you are willing to say, okay, I'm in, yes. I'm going to chase daylight while there's daylight because I'm only going to get so many moments. And here's the reality that we've said is seemingly these divine moments are, are a lot of times obscure and insignificant. And there's going to be a hundred ordinary, seemingly divine moments that ultimately God's going to use to unravel your divine calling. Like I'd say it this way, is that in many cases, the divine moments in your life are small enough that you can ignore them. Well, it's not that big a deal. Like, this relationship is not my life. Saying yes to this is not going to be something that changes the trajectory of my life. And it's just small enough to ignore, and yet simultaneously, it's big enough, literally, to change your life forever. I don't know where you're at today, but whatever you have in front of you, whatever divine moment, if you want to use that terminology that is in front of you, where you need to say yes and you need to surrender, you have no idea when that divine moment is going to be the linchpin that God's going to use to unleash his divine calling for your life. But the bottom line is he has a very specific purpose for you. Now, here's the thing. When you say all of that, if we believe it, those of you who do believe it, others of you are investigating. When you say all of that, the question that that begs is just this. Okay, so why don't we just say yes? Why don't we just surrender? Why don't we just go, okay, I'm in. I'm going to do that. I don't understand it all on the front end, but I'm just going to believe that that you have a divine purpose and a divine calling for my life. So yes, wh why don't we just say that? And the reason is this, because I think all of us know that at some point, even if you haven't embraced Jesus, maybe this is why you haven't embraced Jesus, that at some point seizing your divine moment that could be the catalyst for your divine calling, it's gonna cost you something. 
In Mark chapter 8, Jesus was with his guys where we started this whole series. We looked at Matthew 16 and Matthew's account. I'm going to look today at Mark's account, but Jesus kind of unleashes the fact that, hey, I'm going to create something in the world and, and you guys in the first century, you're going to be a part of this. But then Jesus keeps talking, and we didn't look at this in week one, and goes on to say, hey, as amazing as this sounds, and you guys have no idea, you just need to know, you just need to have a heads up, because up until now, it's benefited you to follow Jesus. Hey, guys, Peter, James, some of you other guys, like, it's benefited you. Like, you've had more followers, you got more likes, you've had more success, and like, the crowds are hype wherever I go. Like, it's been really good for you. But at some point, at some point, you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone in order to step into your calling. At some point, it's going to cost you. And you guys just need to have a heads up. Like I said this last week, and I'll be quick, but here's something really important for us to know, if I could just preach this for a second, is that the Holy Spirit is the one that has been called to really be the primary comforter. Not to get too theological, but the Holy Spirit convicts and the Holy Spirit comforts. The primary ministry of Jesus was actually to confront, not condemn. Wherever you see or experience condemnation, that's not of Jesus, but to lovingly confront the areas of our life where we are held in bondage and Jesus is going, I've got something better for you. Like here's where the danger comes in if I can just go on this for a second, is that in many cases, we kind of attribute Jesus' presence and Jesus' divine moments simply with us being comfortable, simply with us having everything go our way. And we never really attribute those areas where there's something that we feel, there's something conflicted in us, there's like a confrontation. We never associate that with Jesus. Instead, that's always the enemy. So when I'm uncomfortable, when things aren't going well, when there's some kind of angst that I feel, we kind of chalk that up. Well, that's just the enemy. That's the devil trying to sidetrack me, trying to get me. And here's the danger in that, is that sometimes you're attributing to the enemy what's going on in your life where it's actually your savior who's trying to lovingly lead you into your divine calling by confronting the areas of your life where you are in bondage and it is enslaving you in your relationships, in your calling, in terms of what he wants you to sacrifice, in terms of how he wants you to move forward and prioritize. And you're in this place going, well, that's just the enemy. And Jesus is going, no, 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 that's your savior. I'm trying to liberate you. I'm trying to free you. And so sometimes when you're feeling confrontation, that's not the enemy. Stop giving him credit. That's actually Jesus himself going, hey, I'm trying to do something here. I'm trying to work with you here. I just need to, you for you to give me credit and understand that where I'm trying to lead you is better than what you are trying to discover and find on your own. And that, that's, a, that's a huge, like here, here's the thing. The greatest enemy to faith, it's not fear. The greatest enemy to faith is familiarity. And it's ravaging our churches. It's ravaging our individual journeys of following Jesus. And so Jesus says to all these guys who they want what we want. Like we want it all. Like we want to be comfortable. We want abs and no planks. Right? We want to... You better clap when I get to the Bible part. We want, uh, <laughs> like, we want to lose weight, and we don't want to eat less. They, they want comfort and calling. We want comfort and calling. And Jesus says, listen, there is a role for comfort, but comfort actually is for the sake of other people in your life. Jesus has come to lovingly confront you, to lead you into something better. And so Jesus just said with all of his guys, hey, at some point, at some point, it's going to cost you. Here's what he says. He introduces this tension. And again, this is where we began the series in Mark 8, but I'm looking at Mark's version rather than Matthew's version in chapter 16. Mark gives us a more abbreviated version of what happened in that divine moment when Jesus got everything started in terms of what he had for us 2,000 years later, 827 of Mark chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and they're moving into Jerusalem, right? And on the way, he asked them where we started. Who do people say that I am? And they replied, some of you say John the Baptist. And by the way, if you're like not sure about the Bible thing and you don't read it, here's reason to read the Bible. Um, 
John the Baptist had just been beheaded. So this is like, some say you're reincarnated John the Baptist. John the Baptist got beheaded because he divorced his wife and he married his sister-in-law, it's very complicated, slash niece. And then he had, um, or actually his new wife, slash niece, slash sister-in-law, they were all combined in one, got his daughter to do a strip tease for Herod, manipulate Herod so that Herod would actually send for John the Baptist, have his head chopped off and then brought it into this like big party on a platter. And so the bottom line, it, it, it is some Maury Povich, Jerry Springer kind of craziness. And so even if you don't believe in Jesus, like you should read it. So there they are. And they're like, some say John the Baptist who's dead, but I, I don't think so. Others say Elijah. And then others say one of the prophets, but that's not it either. And then this is the moment that we started with in week one. But what about you? Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Like, what do you guys say about me? What's your answer to the question of who am I? And then Peter says these famous words. I believe that you are the Christ. By the way, Christ is not the last name of Jesus. Christ is basically in the Greek, it's Messiah. And then the Messiah in Hebrew is anointed one. And so Peter's literally, literally saying, I believe that you're, you're the promised Messiah. You're, you're the anointed one. You're, you're the one that has come. And then Jesus, and you know this, turns to Peter and go, Peter, that, that's right. And you didn't come up with that on your own. Like literally God gave you that answer. And by the way, Peter, you have no idea. I'm about to start a movement around that one statement. I'm about to start an assembly. I'm about to start a gathering of people for the world with a message for the world and nothing's gonna stop it. Nothing's gonna get in his way. Not the crusades, not the inquisitions, not all the crazy Jesus followers throughout history, not all the churches that are off the rails, not death, not hell. Hey, Peter, nothing is gonna stop this movement that I'm gonna create known as the church for the world to unfurl this brand new message that you can have a relationship with God and it's all gonna come back to this moment in that answer that on this statement that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, a movement is going to be created to the world that's going to change the world and you guys get to be a part of it. But then Jesus keeps going and this is where we left off in week one because he says, listen, you guys have no idea that, that this is the context for your calling and 2,000 years later, here we are and it's still the context for our calling that we are the church, which is not a building, it is a movement of people as we gather and then as we scatter into communities and into cities. And he says, this is the context for your calling and in the future, I'm gonna use you guys. And really you are going to turn the world upside down. You're gonna change how people view a relationship with God. There's no way you could even understand that in this moment, but I'm just telling you, Jesus says, it's gonna happen, but guys, you just need to know that this divine calling that I have for you, what I'm gonna use you to do in history, you seizing this divine moment that's in front of you, it's gonna cost you something. And so then Jesus says, verse 31, he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests, by the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And then verse 32, he spoke plainly about this, and our friend Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You're like, Peter, come on, man. Are you serious? Hey, I, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the Anointed One. Let me have a word with you. <laughs> what? And basically, Peter was like, hey, Peter at one time had Jesus heal his mother-in-law. He's like, I've seen you do incredible things. I've seen you heal lepers. I've seen you give sight to the blind. I, I saw you that one time talk to nature and nature like seemingly obeyed you. Jesus, stop going negative. Like stop being cynical. That, any guy who can command disease in nature, it's not gonna go down this way. So Jesus, let's be positive. Look at the crowds. Look at how amazing this is. And then I love this because I got problems. Verse 33. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked G uh, Peter in turn. Hey, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Which I, I kind of love that because it makes me feel so much better about me. <laughs> like Peter just had this amazing moment that's going to be recorded in history, like this, this triumphal, like, okay, this is the high point of my spiritual journey. And two minutes later, he's being called Satan. Which, which is kind of our journey, right? 
Like you, you have this huge, like, okay, I'm getting it done. I'm overcoming this sin. Like I'm, I'm learning to follow and trust Jesus. Like I'm pretty proud of myself. And then not two minutes later, it, like you have some kind of face plant moment, which reveals that you and I, like we need the same grace at salvation every single day of our life. And so there he is, like this honestly hilarious scene. And Jesus then says to him these famous words, you don't have in mind the things of God, Peter, but, but only the things of men, meaning, Peter, I get it. It has benefited you a lot up until this point. There's been a lot of success. There's huge crowds. Everything is rolling. And you guys, you've benefited. My popularity has become your popularity. But, but Peter, you've kind of become a consumer. And you just need to know the day is coming. There's a moment that's coming. And you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone. And you're going to have to step into your calling. Because consumers are just about what is in it for them. But here, Peter, here's what I want you to know. Here's where I'm going with this. Even when you have to give up perceived success, even when there's uncertainty, that first moment where now you're not going to be getting benefits from this any longer. Peter, are you still going to follow me? Are you still going to seize this moment? Are you still going to step into my calling for your life? And Peter, let's just be straight, Jesus would say, you're not, you're not really concerned about me. You're concerned about you and what's going to happen to you as a result of what happens to me. You, dude, you're a consumer. And then he says this, and he, he kind of takes this opportunity to reveal the tension. Verse 34. Again, you probably heard these verses. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So Jesus would travel with like his disciples, you know, like the 12 or the apostles. And then there would be larger crowds that would follow Jesus. And so this is the moment where Jesus kind of, you know, gathers the large crowd. And, and here's what you need to know. What Jesus is about to say for them is literal. Hey, what I'm about to say, if you follow too close to me, um, like it, it's, it's not going to end well for you. Whatever my fate becomes is going to be your fate. And here's the good news about what Jesus is about to say. What literally they were facing, we're never going to have to face. And he says to them, hey guys, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, if anyone seizes my divine moment for them where there's that, that moment where it's going to cost and they've got to say yes in order to step into their calling, if anyone would come after me in that way, he's got to deny himself and he's got to take up his cross and then follow me. Now, can I just say this? What Jesus is saying is not for you to take up his cross as in Jesus's cross. Jesus is the only one that can take up his cross right? Like Jesus went to the cross and he canceled every debt that you owed for your sin. He canceled every bit of your dysfunction. He canceled every bit of your shady behavior. He canceled all of that stuff internally that you haven't told anybody else about. And then when he walked out of a grave alive, it was proof that his check did not bounce. It was paid in full. He took all of your punishment, all of the wrath that you deserve, everything that you are owed because of your disobedience, all of it was on him on the cross. And when he walked out of a grave alive, it validated everything he said. It really is finished. You don't have to take up his cross again. And when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are forgiven. You are whole. You are a child of God. You are a son and daughter of the king of the universe. And nothing's going to undo that. So you're not taking up his cross. He's talking about, I've got a specific cross for you to take up, meaning there's a specific cost for you. And this is not about salvation. This is about calling. You're going to have to take up your cross, which terrified them to death. And you got to follow me, meaning to seize your moment and your calling. There's going to be a point, just mark my words. You're going to have to say no to you. You're going to have to deny you. There's going to be a conflict of interest. And this isn't some big spiritual, like, over-the-top idea. It's just what you do every day. Like, if you're on a diet, if you're on paleo because you want to torture yourself, you got to say no to you, right? If there's some other thing where it's like, okay, I just know that's not going to be the best, but I want it. I, I just got to say no to me. I got to deny me. I've got to give something up. All right, real quick. This is a dumb example. Shouldn't share it. Um, I'm not really clumsy. This is going to make you think I'm clumsy um, for good reason. But actually, let me just ask this. How many of you have ever fallen down the stairs before? Okay. That still doesn't make me feel better. How many have fallen down the stairs four or five times in your lifetime? Um, one of the stories that my college friends like will 
rehearsed is when we were in Key Largo, we were scuba diving and we were in this two-story thing and there was like stairs, but you couldn't see the stairs. So it was just like covered by a wall and then there's like three feet and a door and they heard some commotion and then boom, 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 boom. And then literal, according to them, me catapulting out at the bottom of the stairs and hitting the wall. And then um, that's kind of followed me because now we've been in this new home for about a year and a half and I've fallen down the stairs like twice in um, this home. And the reason I tell you that is recently, a couple months ago, I was coming down the stairs. I had a beverage in my hand. Um, the beverage is not important for this audience. I had a beverage in my hand. It was important to me. And so I was coming. I had socks on my feet, which kind of will clue you in. And then there's, there's carpet on the stairs. So I, I get the first the first stair, and there's about six, and there's a landing, and I just, that dreadful, if you've ever experienced, you know what I'm talking about, where my feet, both of them, foom, right out from under me, and this is where I got issues, because literally the first thought in my mind was, I hope I don't spill my drink, <laughs> and then I proceeded to boom, 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 down to the landing, and there I am, and the drink is still in my hand, I did not spill the drink, just so you know, thank you. Thank you. But I felt like I broke my back, like literally. And then I start yelling at the kids because you just need somebody to yell, yell at in that moment. But I couldn't really speak. So it's like, ah, kind of thing. Like I, it hurt that bad. And previously I had fallen down the stairs with my two sons and I was able to protect them as well. But in this case, I walked away and I was like, if I would have just let go of that drink, I could have grabbed the railing and I wouldn't have fallen down the stairs. Like I wouldn't be walking around like my back's jacked up right now. But all to preserve this drink in my hand, like I took the fall and I'm telling you it hurt for weeks. And I say all that to say it's just a stupid example is at some point along the way, there is gonna be a confrontation between what you want, what you're dreaming of and what Jesus is leading you toward. And the only way to move toward what Jesus wants for your life is to let go of what you're holding onto. Let go of what you kind of value in that moment. And on the other side of letting go of what you value, it's gonna hurt a lot less because ultimately what Jesus has is better than what you have. And so there he is with this crowd. He's like, okay, you guys just need to know at some point what you want is gonna come up against what Jesus is calling you into. And you're gonna have to decide, so just get ready. Prepare yourself, just know it's coming. And when Jesus talks about carrying their cross, again, it was so vivid and real to them. Like one of the questions we get is, why don't you have crosses hanging around here? This is part of my weird personality, but I'm so over the top of, I hate things to become ritualistic. I hate things to become ornamented and they lose their power over time. When they saw a cross, it was real. They smelled the smells of crucifixion in the first century. They heard the cries of grown men dying on a cross. They literally grew up watching rotting bodies on Roman crosses because Rome wanted to make a spectacle of people. And there they are, and, and it's so real to them. And the good news is we're never going to face that. But he says to those guys, hey, listen, at some point there is going to be a conflict of interest, and you're going to have to decide. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you something. And these guys are so real. That's what I love about the scripture. I mean, Peter's sitting there going, I mean, it, it has been great up until this point. You healed my mother-in-law. It's conflicted at first, but then I, I was thankful you hear my mother-in-law. Um. I saw you do incredible things to command nature and to, to heal disease, but this is kind of the moment like where they're all thinking, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Like it, it's literally where some of you are right now and you've got to kind of decide, like there's a yes on the table. There's a, okay, I think this is like a God thing to sacrifice. It's a time thing. It's a money thing. Maybe it's a relationship he's calling you to do in a different way. It's a, a seeming step of risk to step out and to go, okay, I, I'm going to trust you by faith. But there's something in front of you and there is this literal war within you of what I've got to give up, what I've got to step out of to step into what Jesus has for me. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And so there Jesus is, and, and they have the same concern. And so Jesus says, okay, so before you guys leave, because a bunch of you are going to leave in a minute, let, let me just put it in this context. And then he goes into, this is really hyperbole. It is an illustration, an example. I'll try to make that clear. But what he's trying to do, because Jesus is the master communicator, 
is to get us all on the same page to go, okay, before you decide, let me just, let me just kind of bring this tension to the surface for you. And he says this. You've heard these verses probably. For whoever wants to save his life, well, who's that? That would be everybody. Like we, and Jesus is the master communicator. I just want you all to agree on something. Who wants to save their life? Everybody wants to save their life. Whoever wants to save their life, which is all of us, is going to lose it. Like everybody's going to lose their life. It doesn't matter how many Pilates you do. It doesn't matter how you eat. It doesn't matter T25. It doesn't, like eventually you are going to die. Welcome to church. Like that's just going to happen. <laughs> and he's like, so whoever wants to save their life, which is all of us, they're going to lose it. But, and this is so powerful, but whoever loses his life, well, who's, the, well, that's everybody. We just covered that. But whoever loses his life, everybody, but loses it for me and for the gospel, for the good news, what I'm calling them into, they're going to save it. Now, what he's not talking about is salvation here. This is a illustration. It's an example it's where people so jack up and misinterpret the scripture. This is just, hey, th this, I, I just want you to get your mind around this, that whatever that thing is that you're pursuing, Whatever is life to you, I mean, whatever you stack up, like your biggest, best, like over-the-top life that you can come up with, whatever that is for you, in that divine moment, when you're stepping into your divine calling and you're stepping away from what you kind of perceive as life and it costs you, it's a relationship, it's sacrifice, it's I'm just going to get real uncomfortable, I'm going to be misunderstood. This is going to rearrange all my priorities and thinking. In that moment where you are giving up to get, in that moment where you are giving up what you kind of value as life in order to step into my calling, Jesus is going, it's in that moment that you save your life. And he's not, again, he's not talking about salvation or heaven when you die. He's talking about, I have invited you into life to the full. I've come to liberate you. I came to free you. It's why I'm willing to confront the bondage that you are in. And you don't even know it's bondage. It's just a dysfunctional relationship. It's just apathy and you're super comfortable and you're okay with staying there. I've come to confront that to lead you out of that bondage. And whenever you are willing to give up what you're going to lose anyway, when you give it up for me, it means that I'm going to take it and you're going to actually give it up with a purpose and you're going to gain life on the other side. And then he says this, Holy Spirit, make this clear. Verse 36, what, what is good for a man to gain the whole world? Or what good is it for a man to gain the whole world? A again, just imagine if you had it all, whatever having it all is for you. You're retired on the beach. You're like the, the, the business market share through the, whatever it is. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, whatever they imagine the world to be and yet forfeit, yet pay, yet give up? their soul. Like Jesus is like, okay, again, this is just hypothetical. This is just, I want to illustrate this for you. Jesus, the master communicator, at the end of your life that you're trying to save, that is so valuable to you, what if hypothetically, what if you lost it? What if that happened? And if you're in a place right now where like, well, I don't really believe in a soul or an afterlife. Hey, here's the good news. Most of the people in Jesus' audience at this moment, they didn't believe it either. In fact, most of the Old Testament, or the, all the Old Testament, doesn't talk about heaven, doesn't talk about, okay, that, that whole thing of an afterlife. It wasn't until Jesus came along to go, hey, I, I've provided something more for you. Every time you have that angst inside of you that goes, I don't think they should suffer that way. Every time you have that angst inside of you that says, this relationship shouldn't end like this. Every time you have that angst inside of you where the sex is good, the relationship is great, you leased another one and you thought that was going to fulfill and on the other side of it, you're like, that over-promised and under-delivered. Every time there's this angst of, why is this happening? This shouldn't be this way. This can't be all there is. Jesus stepped onto planet earth to go, I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you. In fact, I created you for Genesis chapter one, universal flourishing and universal wholeness, and then sin jacked all of that up. But I literally came to planet earth to do something you couldn't do on your own and to give you a better hope and a better future. What we say around here all the time that one day you're going to be reunited with me in perfect wholeness and every tear is going to be wiped away. Every wrong is going to become untrue. Every injustice is going to be handled. Every relationship is going to be restored. 
you have been manufactured for more. And I hate to tell you this if you're resisting God, but that thing inside of you that goes, this can't be it, was actually placed inside of you by him. And he's going, I agree with you. Come in my direction. I did manufacture you for more. This is not all there is. So Jesus, in that moment, it's like, well, what if you gain all that? And yet you forfeited your soul. Like, what if you're hanging on to what is the most amazing epic life you can imagine? But at the end of that, you forfeit your soul. And then verse 37, Jesus says this. Jesus is so brilliant. Or what can or what would a man give, to flip it around for a second, in exchange for his soul? Like, if you had it all, again, most amazing life, what would you give for your soul? Jesus is like, okay, here's the question. What would you trade what would you give in exchange if you got it all, whatever your definition of all is? But then you lost your soul. What, what would you give? What would you give in exchange? And we all know the answer. I'd give everything. And then Jesus says, okay, so here's the answer to both questions. I just answered them for you. What good is it to get everything at the expense of your soul? It's no good. And what would you give up to get it back if you lost it, even though you had an amazing life? I'd give everything. And Jesus, who's brilliant, says, look what you just discovered about yourself. Look what you just realized. Look what you were just awakened to, that you value your soul more than you value your stuff. We all agree. And he's not talking about stuff just in terms of, of personal possessions. This isn't necessarily physical things. This is whatever you're hanging on to. And it's not evil. In many cases, it's morally neutral stuff. Like, well, that's a good thing. But it is in this moment, it's an enemy to your calling. And Jesus is asking you to give it up in order to step into what he has for you. And you just said that you value your soul more than you value all of your stuff. And Jesus is like, if you're at that place right now, that is a life defining moment for you. That whatever you are fearful of on this side of yes, whatever you're fearful of on this side of surrender, whatever you're unsure of on this side of will I follow Jesus into that? Listen, you just admitted that you value your soul more than you value all of your stuff. And so the crowd that day is sitting there going, okay, so what you're saying is whatever we give up, we're gonna have to give up anyway because we're not taking it with us, but we can give it up for you in a way that has purpose and is actually the catalyst for you bringing about the life that you want us to live. And so really, you kind of oversold the sacrifice. Didn't you, Jesus? And then verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, hey guys, when it gets tough, it's gonna happen to you it's going to happen actually in very short order. Peter, you're going to deny me when you're trying to walk with the crowd, but then act like you're not with me. I'm just here for the free food. Whenever that happens, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him, you, when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And here's what he's saying. This is not as profound as you think. This is not talking about salvation. This isn't talking about heaven when you die. This is when you step into what God has for you. There is a unique power and there is a unique purpose that you assume in that moment. And if you are willing to deny me to not give up whatever you don't wanna give up, you are gonna deny yourself, not my love, not my grace, not heaven when you die. If you've legitimately placed your faith and trust in me, that's not what he's talking about. But you are gonna deny the experience of my power and my empowering grace and the life that I want to live through you that is gonna be way better than what you choose on your own. And by the way, here's the encouraging thing. Peter, Peter's the guy in the crowd in that moment when Jesus is like, if you're ashamed, I'm going to be ashamed. Peter's the guy that's like, well, that's never going to happen to me. Never going to deny you. Dropping explicatives in Aramaic to a middle school girl going, I don't even know Jesus. And then what does Jesus do right after that? Does he kick, does he, does he kick Peter out of the group? <laughs> so amazing. This is so grace. He comes to Peter and says, hey, Peter, number one, I told you you were going to do that. Number two, I'm going to put you in charge of the greatest movement in the world. Don't do that anymore. And Peter ends up stepping into his divine calling after the most epic failure that you can imagine. And he gave his life for what he saw. 
a resurrected Jesus. So here's the bottom line. Salvation is completely free. It costs you nothing. You don't have to assume Jesus' calling for your life. You can resist it until you die. Salvation is free because, come on, I just want to highlight this one more time. You have no ability to be perfect. You have no ability to make yourself appeasable. You have no ability to fix the brokenness between you and God because it's not even based on behavior. It's based on birth. We are all born into the world with sin separated from God. The only way we could be reconciled and the only way that we could have rescue is for somebody to do something on our behalf. Jesus lived the perfect life, died the death we should have died, walked out of a grave alive to say, it's finished. And if you would just trust me by faith that you can't earn your way to me and trust what I've done for you on the cross, I'm gonna give you forgiveness and life and salvation and a home in heaven and a hope and a future. And it's all free because it's based on my promises and my performance, not yours. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. And if anybody tells you otherwise, they need to gospel themselves. They need to get into the New Testament to understand what is taught from cover to cover. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. Seizing your divine moment will ultimately cost you something. And, and here's the good news is, is that that moment in a lot of ways, though it can be so small you can miss it, it's, it's easily distinguishable. It's going to feel like a moral imperative. And some of you are there right now. And it's not for everybody. Whatever you feel is not like leave sin, fall. It's like in many cases it's neutral. It is specifically what God has for you in this moment and season of your life. And it just feels like a moral imperative. Like I need to, somebody has to. I feel like this is for me. I feel like God's calling me to do it, but I'm scared. And it's just gonna feel like a moral imperative. And it's also gonna feel like a death. And here's what I mean by that. There are certain points where what you want and what God wants in terms of his calling, they're, they're going to conflict with each other, and your dream is going to have to die in order to step into God's divine calling for your life. And what you need to understand in that moment is Jesus is saying to you, hey, listen, I, I'm allowing your dream to die because I have a better dream for you. I haven't come to suppress desire. I've come to transform desire. I manufactured you. I know what's gonna be best. And so in that moment where your dream has to die in order to follow Jesus, it's gonna feel a little bit like a death. And that's gonna be the moment where you've gotta lean in to go, okay, I don't know, but I trust you. And here's what's true throughout the scripture. And in many cases, something has to die for something else to live. And Jesus is going, I have a divine calling for you and you just need to trust me. Whatever you're giving up over here, it's not even gonna be worthy to be compared over here. And so in this moment, your dream may have to die, but I've got a better dream for your life. And so there Jesus is with his guys going, this is what I'm inviting you into. In that moment where you experience that tension, that's your divine moment. And in that moment, you're going to experience what you can't experience any other way. You're going to experience whose you are. You're going to experience the reality when you're willing to step out and go, I'm going to step into this calling. What you can't get on a page and you can't get in a group. And as much as this is important, you can't get in this room. You will have the experience of your little bit of faith intersecting with God's faithfulness and knowing and knowing and knowing that God is working on your behalf and knowing in that moment, listen, I'm not going to give up for the sake of what God has for me. And so as you step into that, it gives you the reality that I really am following Jesus. And you're going to discover in that moment whose you are. And so Jesus says to all of us, that moment's coming. I remember the first time, grew up as a pastor's kid, and in many cases it kind of benefited me for a while. You know, better relationships, you know, things worked out better as I followed Jesus. And there's that moment where I had to end a relationship where I had to step into my calling. There was that moment where I had to end a job and make a lot less money and step into my calling. There was that moment where even as God was birthing this, truth, this, this church where I had to to unfortunately give up some friendships and relationships or step into my calling. I met with a guy this week, and because I, I just want you to know that this is not about just like some specific set of circumstances, but I met with a guy this week that I've gotten to know, and, and he just made this statement. He's like, up until this point, like, I, I haven't really accomplished anything as it relates to eternity, as it relates to what really matters. 
And so God began working on his heart to step out and to do something. And, and this is where we so often miss it and we don't see these as divine moments and it seems so unspiritual. But he knew that he knew that he knew that there was a competency that he needed to step into, a calling, and it was to start a business. And he wanted to make money because you should do that in business, but he also wanted to have an influence for the name of Jesus. And so he's taking a massive step of faith, a massive risk to start an art studio, a tattoo parlor, and has so many ideas of, of doing some incredible things with art to give back to schools and starting a community group on site because there's no sacred, secular. It's all spiritual. It is all about Jesus. It's all about his kingdom. And, and he just talked to me about that. Okay, th there had to be a point where I had to step out of where I was comfortable and step into my calling because I knew Jesus was leading me to this. So I don't know what it is and where is not as important as who. Wherever you go, just take Jesus with you. We are the church and we gather in this building, but we scatter into the city. So whether it's an HOA, whether it's a PTA, whether it's a neighborhood, whether it's in your own home, whether it's in a drive-through window or in a boardroom, you are repping the name and the fame of Jesus. But there's going to come a point where your calling is going to conflict with your comfort and you're going to have to step out. I just want to say this, and i got to get ready to end, but, but for us as a church to seize our moment and our calling and our city in the days ahead with what we've already seen God do, it is going to require us to be uncomfortable. It is going to require us to step out. It is going to require us to do things that naturally we wouldn't do because there is so much at stake. Weekend after weekend after weekend, people walking in and literally over and over again saying these words, I'd given up. I was done. I was going to go forward any longer. I, I, didn't, I was done with the Jesus thing. I was done with the church thing. And then everything is transformed for them because what we do matters. We are literally leading people to hope and life in Jesus. People are walking in in darkness and leaving in light. They're walking in dead and they're walking out alive because the power of Jesus can change anything, and the church is the primary vehicle to move that message forward, but it will cost you, and for whatever reason, God has decided to lay his favor on this gathering and do some things extraordinarily powerful in this city, and I feel as a leader, I have the responsibility to help us maximize our potential for the fame of Jesus, but it will cause us to be uncomfortable, and here's the good news. You're not going to be crucified on a cross. But you're going to have to give up some stuff. Like we're, we're all almost a church nearing a thousand people. So if you've been here for three years, that's a little uncomfortable. Stay in community. Get with some other brothers and sisters in Christ. You know the same amount of people that you knew three years ago. But the mission and the mandate is too big. Yeah, you've got to move down a row at some services to create space for other people. You've got to go to another service, to attend the 1230 if you can, because it's going to be a little uncomfortable, but so much is at stake. You've got to sacrifice. We've got to start a fourth service at the end of this summer. A bunch of you got to step in to sacrificially serve, sacrificially give, not for the name or fame of Centerpoint, but for the name and the fame of Jesus. And it means we've got to move out of ourselves to go, it is not about us, and it is not about our comfort. And if you're a longtime Jesus follower, I just want to say this in love, but if you're a longtime Jesus follower, you've been with us for a while and you're like, well, what about us? What about us? What about us? What about you? What about you? You've been given a hope. You've been given a future. You've been given forgiveness. You have been saved and redeemed. You are going to stand face to face with Jesus as one of his sons and one of his daughters. And it's amazing that you have that comfort, but now that comfort has been given to you for the sake of other people. So keep growing in your journey. Keep getting into community. Walk with brothers and sisters in Christ because the church is for you, but it's not about you. And at some point, you've got to get outside of yourself to go, what about me? I have everything in the world and there's 60,000 people in our city that know nothing of that. So I'm going to freaking step out of my country club version of church. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and into my calling for the sake of the city and for the sake of what Jesus wants to do in our community. Because our divine calling is at the epicenter of where the kingdom of God meets the kingdom of darkness in your home, in your community, among the people that you do life around to say, hey, you're in bondage and you don't even know it. And I've come to liberate you. And I've come to free you. And it's only found in Jesus. And when you assume that divine calling for your life, God's going to have something specific for you. When we do it as a church, God's going to have something specific for us where he may do more than we can even ask or imagine in the coming days and years. 
And in many cases, that will be the catalyst for divine change. And so Jesus says, some of you are in bondage and you don't even know it because the enemy has disguised it as you being really comfortable and you being really apathetic and you're just kind of chilling and it's bringing dysfunction into your relationships, it's keeping you from your calling and it's moving you away from the life that God ultimately has for you and so he says to you, listen, you need to step in in order to step in, you gotta step out of because we believe what Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord. Now, just by the way, that's an amazing verse when everything's working out. That's an amazing verse when the market share is up and to the right. That's an amazing verse when everything's great with your kids or when you're stepping out like, yeah, Jesus wants me to do this. And honestly, everything is working out perfectly. That is not an amazing verse when his plans mean that you have to step out and give up perceived success in order to step into his calling. And Jesus says, but are you willing to do it at that point? I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. And if you're uncertain and if you're unsure and if there's a lot of fear, I just want you to be reminded these plans are plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and give you a future. And so as we close, I don't know what uncertainty you're facing and I don't know what baggage that you're carrying but I'm telling you on the authority of the scripture that when you step into and seize your divine moment and divine calling, there is nothing that can stop you. Because when you are willing to deny what has power over you, the scripture is really clear that you ignite the power within you. And that whatever Jesus is calling you to and us to in this moment, he's going to go with you. And whatever he's asking you to step out and do, he's going to go with you. And he's going to empower you along the way. And you don't have to. The whole journey is by grace and it's through faith. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. But seizing your divine moment and your divine calling ultimately will cost you something. And the good news is you're going to know when that moment comes if you're aware. And right now, and this is where some of you are like, I can't believe you're talking about this because this is right where I, I'm at. You, you've got an email in your inbox that you haven't replied to yet. You've got a text on your phone that you haven't responded to. You've got a yes or a no that, that you've got to give back over this next week. You've got something that is just weighing you down, some angst inside, and, and you kind of feel like you know what you should do, and you're struggling with the sacrifice. You're struggling with what it's going to cost. You, you're struggling with where it's going to lead you. And I would just tell you this, since you just admitted that you value your soul more than you value anything else, seize this divine moment that's in front of you to say yes, to surrender, to let go of, and to step into what God has for your life. Because here's what's true in the days ahead. This is simply gonna be a story you tell. You can't really control when you die, but you get to control how you live. And this is going to be a story you tell. What kind of story do you want to tell? What kind of story do you want to be your story of, of what you decided to do in that first moment where God's divine calling was at war with your comfort? And the last thing, if you're online, just one more thing. In that crowd that day, with the disciples and all of those other people, probably hundreds and hundreds of them. Do you know what happened to all of those people who, who just said, I, I can't, I can't give it up, I can't let go, I can't sacrifice, no. Do you know what happened to all of those people in that crowd that day that said no? I don't either. But I bet you that they would have given everything on the other side of a resurrected Jesus. I bet they would have given everything when they're standing in Jerusalem and it's being flooded with thousands of people who are placing their faith and trust in Christ. They would have given anything to go back to that moment. Salvation is free, it's gonna cost you nothing. Seizing your divine moment eventually is going to cost you and it's gonna cost us something. But I think refusing to, it's gonna cost more. Because you never know what God might have done. 
that life to the full, you never know what that would have looked like. And so right now in this moment, here's what I, I know, that there's some people that walked into here with bondage and you would never characterize it as bondage because the enemy is so clever in that way, but you are in bondage and Jesus wants to liberate you and free you. And that liberation starts with a yes. That liberation starts with the I'm in. That liberation starts with surrender. That liberation starts with I am letting go and I am scared and I am nervous and I don't know what's on the other side, but I'm just believing in this moment. You have a hope and you have a future for me. So all over the house, would you stand with me? I wanna encourage you if you're online right now, if you're listening somewhere, if you're listening on radio and you're by yourself, this may look weird, but right now in the room, that may be you. And if we could, as much as possible, stay where we're at right now, just in respect of people around you where God is, is doing something in their heart and life. But right now, for some of you, this is the moment. And here's what I want to just invite you to do. Our, our band's gonna come in a moment. We're gonna end in a song, come to the altar. And this is the moment. So I wanna go old school. Some of you, you just need to make a, a public declaration and that doesn't necessarily do anything, but there is power when you are willing to move beyond your embarrassment and fear and just go, okay, God, I wanna do something to mark this moment and say yes to you. And so for some of you, it's, it's just coming down front and just praying and making that public declaration to go, okay, Jesus, I'm in. For others of you right now, you, you just need to make a physical representation of your letting go and you just need to put your hands in the air and you need to open your palms and you need to declare to your savior, this is the moment. I don't wanna be in bondage any longer. And I haven't even called it bondage and I didn't realize it was bondage, but I'm believing in this moment. You are inviting me into life to the full. You have come to liberate me and free me. So yes, I'm gonna let go. I'm gonna step in and it's not gonna be comfortable. But if I ever wanna experience the life that Jesus has for me, it may be this moment. So right now over the house, if that's you, and if it's not you, just stay where you are, do whatever God is leading you to do in this moment. If you're unsure about the church thing, this is just, just chill out in your seat. But if you're in that place right now where you just need to declare, Jesus, I'm opening my hands to you as a physical declaration. I'm letting go, I'm surrendering, I'm saying yes all over the house right now, right now, right now, if that's you. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you're doing in this moment, not just with what is contained in this room, but well beyond it. And Lord, I just pray that the invitation would be an invitation that is catapulted by your grace and nothing else. You don't need us. You're gonna do it without us. We have simply been invited in and it is not condemnation or retribution or payback that's at stake. What's at stake is us living life to the fullest. What's at stake is us experiencing all that you have for us. And in the name of Jesus, I pray even this moment that you would remove and tear down the lies of the enemy that have kept us in dysfunctional comfort and move us out. In Jesus' incredible name, we declare it, amen.